So, Josh, uh, Josh, you've been at Red Hat longer than I have, I think. Indeed, it's been almost twelve years now. Twelve. That's so. What was it like when you first? Well, okay. So first, what what is your job? What is what do you do all day? All right. So right now, I call myself a security strategist. I work for you under your umbrella organization as basically a security product manager. But I think security strategist sounds cool. <laughs> so and that's what I like to call myself. And basically, what I'm doing now is understanding what's going on in Red Hat's product kind of from the security angle is, you know, what, what are we doing today that we're doing really well, of course, and we need to talk about what are some of the things we could do better. And then, of course, looking at the industry as a whole and trying to understand where is the world starting to go and let's make sure we're skating to where the puck is going instead of, you know, where the puck is or was in some cases. So nice. it's, it's a pretty wild ride. But then before that, I spent 11 years and seven days, actually, I figured it out to the day, working <laughs> on product security doing essentially security updates for Red Hat, like all the RHSAs that get released, is I was part of that group. And it was, it, it's crazy, right? Because everything's on fire all the time. And, and I, did, I, I did love the work. It, it is fascinating. But at the same time, I, I could feel myself becoming, we'll say, too old, maybe, for the, for the work. <laughs> well, 11, I, years, 11 years is a long time to do anything, it, and especially it, like uh, kind of high-risk, uh, kind of high high pressure environment like you know trying to get because we do have i mean we've got this like stellar security record where 90 whatever percent of our uh of critical bugs get fixed in less than 24 hours like that was you and your team right yeah it was was those guys and it's not because we aren't working extremely hard those it's you know they're not only smart guys but they work like mules right which is how that that that, that's why that number is where it's at right it's not an accident yeah, that's awesome. I and so uh, so you did a so actually walk me through what does that process look like? Um, are you guys like actively seeking out the bugs, or uh, is it like is it are you only paying attention to stuff that's reported upstream, and then you kind of really quickly put a patch together, or how does it how does it usually how does it usually go? It's it's madness. So we find I think Red Hat finds something like twenty percent of all the security issues we fix in a, in a given year, give or take, right? And that's because we, we have people who look for bugs. We have, obviously, developers who work at Red Hat who find bugs. We have things like Coverity running against code, and we pay attention to what's going on there. And then also there's working with upstreams. There's trolling a massive number of data sources. We have uh, an automated process that would go out and search things like bug villas and mailing lists and websites. And it, it was an incredible amount of information, even, even the CVE feed from, you know, NIST, mm-hmm. just looking at like what's all out there. And as you can imagine, this is like, you would need thousands of people to sort this. So of course it's relatively automated just to alleviate some of that pressure because unfortunately I don't think anyone could handle it. And, and so there's that incoming phase, right? Where basically we find about some, we find out about something in some way. And sometimes they're private issues. We call that an embargo. Sometimes they are public issues. It, you never know, right? I mean, this is part of the madness of open source. And this is really where that supply chain thing we like to talk about. This is super important because you have to understand what you're running and where it comes from. And obviously this is something Red Hat has done for a super long time. I mean, I remember, Back in the day when we started doing this, you know, it was, I was literally like employee number two on the team. It was, we had one product, right? We had Red Hat Enterprise Linux, and it wasn't very big, in fact. It was, man, it was so nice. We had it made. We didn't know how good we had it. And, oh, yeah, you have no idea. And so, obviously, things have grown. So now we have tons of data sources. We have tons of things. And so, basically, we have a team that, that's known as incoming that literally just looks at this data, where it's coming from, 
and deciding, is this something that affects Red Hat or is this not something that affects Red Hat, which mm -hmm. is, you know, as you can imagine, that, that's a lot of work just because there's a huge number of things and we have a huge number of products now. And all the, and all the dependencies between products and all that stuff, right? Absolutely. It, it's a huge deal. And so, so basically we end up with a bug is what we have at the end of that process where we go from incoming into a bug and then we have the next group kind of takes over there. We call them triage. Mm -hmm. And then they look at what does this mean for Red Hat's products, or in, in many cases, we pay attention to some things like Fedora and various other, we'll say, community projects Red Hat works with, just because we know that even if it doesn't necessarily affect us, it could affect us in the near future if we ship something that's vulnerable in there. And so these guys get a, get a feel for what's going on, how serious is it, what's happening, and they basically assign it some severity level which is, I mean, many things go into play there. Because, for example, if it, if it gets a fancy name, name your pets, not your security issues. <laughs> if it gets a fancy name, then it's going to get a slightly higher you know, right. like severity rating. Right. Than, even if it's kind of lame, just because people, people pay attention to that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, so what happens then is, you know, things get prioritized and we understand basically what's the order we need to fix this stuff in. Because let's face it, if there's a critical security issue, we want to fix that before we fix you know, some lame issue in, in something like Image Magic. Image Magic is one of my favorite examples because this is an image processing library that just, it's riddled with code problems. And there, there's, it's a never ending supply, right? And there's things like this. I know when I used to talk to Steve Christie, who, who did TV for a long time, he would refer to something called PHP Gulf, where you can literally take like any PHP application off the shelf and find as many security issues as you want to find until you get tired of looking and, right, and then get CVE IDs assigned to them. And obviously security researchers who want a lot of CVEs associated with their name, they would literally do this where they would find, you know, tens to hundreds of issues with some like relatively obscure PHP web app. Oh, but, interesting. So it's like low hanging fruit. Like if I right, go exactly. get, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I mean, I mean, like, literally Gunnar, I, I could have you getting CVE IDs by the end of the day. <laughs> start looking it's I have no idea it's yeah anyway so we we end up with with this queue of work that needs to happen essentially and then it's up to product security to make sure the right products know about the things that they need to know about how to fix the issues sometimes there's upstream patches sometimes there aren't sometimes we have to make our own patches if what we're shipping is potentially too old or outdated you know, from that whole like freezing the distro sort of perspective. And, mm -hmm. and essentially that group does what needs to be done, making sure that people know what they need to know. And then after, after development does their thing, obviously it's off to QE where it gets a ton of testing. And one of the really cool things our QE guys do is they keep like an exploit zoo. So they make sure that whenever we fix a security issue and they have a, a demo exploit, we, we do not like to give anyone you know, fully weaponized exploit. So we make sure QE has something that's neutered in some way. Mm -hmm. They take that exploit, you know, they can test it, but then it goes into their, their test suite. And in fact, we found problems where things like developers re-added issues or we found new issues thanks to this zoo, essentially, these guys have. But then, you know, off from there, it, it release engineering and, and out the door it goes, so to speak, where then the customers get it. And, and as part of that process, too, product security does the work on the advisories, where there's obviously advisory text and bugs that are associated with everything we release. And also, occasionally things will get like a knowledge base article. And those mm -hmm. guys generally drive that process as well, since they're essentially the subject matter experts on the particular issue. It really is amazing to think about this entire apparatus that lives behind 
like an RHSA or a, or a CVE number, right? Um, I know that, uh, right. like, our, so our CVE reports are actually really popular. I've seen some of the numbers, and um, people rely on Red Hat's write-ups for a lot of these, uh, for a lot of these CVEs, even if they're not necessarily running a Red Hat system. Like, they enjoy our documentation so much that they actually visit our pages to go learn about an exploit, right? Um, so even just a separate and apart from the software, like the documentation and um, the kind of information that you guys provide is just incredibly valuable. It's great. It's great. Oh, totally. I mean, in my obviously unbiased opinion, it's the best <laughs> industry. But so, I mean, in, in all seriousness, though, one of the things Red Hat has always tried to do really hard is to do, you know, the right thing, you know, TM, as they say, where when you're dealing with security issues, you always have two different factions, it seems like. You've got the researchers who want to make the most noise they can because it's, you know, it's their baby, right? No one, no one wants to have someone tell you your baby's ugly, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the, the product owners, be it an organization like Red Hat or an upstream or a distribution or whatever, and their interest is in downplaying the issue, even if they don't necessarily want to because let's face it, nobody wants to stand up and be like, hey, I've got a critical remote root in my product right here. Come ever <laughs> look at this. Right. So this, this happens all the time, right, where you have researchers making as big of a deal as they can. You've got sometimes a product trying to make as, as little of a deal as they can. And then what's, what's true? You know, what is truth? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to ask you, how does, it, how does it, like, if, as, as Joe sysadmin, right, I'm just running my WordPress installation or whatever, um, you get, you know, you see these like big media reports about like the glibc bug or drown or, or heartbleed or whatever. Um, those are pretty obviously kind of, those are probably pretty big deals, right? Because they, they got media attention. But um, I mean, there's bugs showing up every day. Like how do you, how, do, how does Joe admin figure out kind of what's urgent versus what's important, right? Right. I mean, that, that's a huge problem. Without a doubt, and, and I get that, that question I get asked a lot, in fact, when I go in and talk to customers and, and various other folks, is that there is this just sea of information, and some of it's real and some of it's not. You know, how, how can I tell the difference? And, of course, from our perspective, we're going to tell you, you know, trust Red Hat, which mm-hmm. is it, – it's easy to say, right? But, of course, you have to kind of earn that trust. Now, I would be willing to say that Red Hat has earned that trust from a lot of people over the years, and it's because – we've tried really hard to always walk that edge of the knife of giving people the real information on what's going on, not what we think makes us look best or makes someone else look worst or anything like that. And I blame open source for this. (laughs) I I mean, no, really, really. It's a long time ago. I'll never forget this is we made, I, I don't even remember the issue. I should, I should try to find this, but basically we made a mistake. Red Hat screwed something up and we were going to look foolish if we fixed it. And we went around in circles trying to figure out how can we spin this so we don't look dumb or how can we hide this fix somewhere. Security guys that have a really good understanding of our product. We have groups of, of security engineers who basically understand, you know, they have their product space that they're, they're experts at. And these guys, I mean, they're some of the brightest, honestly, in terms of understanding how things interact and what's going on because you need to keep an impressive vision of what's happening in your brain when you're trying to understand, you know, what does this issue mean, not from the singular level of this one application it affects, but rather what does this mean in the context of the product and in Red Hat's case, even the portfolio, because mm-hmm. now we have 
things working together and interacting in ways that, that quite frankly, weren't even imagined when a lot of these, these applications got written, you know, 10, 20 years ago. And so it's, it's a completely crazy job. I mean, these guys do, they do so well. It's, it's fascinating. That's great. So what was there, do you have a, do you have a favorite vulnerability that you were involved with? Oh man, my favorite one. What, you know, I've got a great story. It's, it's not a vulnerability per se was we had, this was, oh, I bet this was 10 years ago now. Basically what happened was somebody sent out like a, a spam phishing type email. This was, I don't even know if phishing was a, a word back then. It was so long ago. So somebody sends out this, this phishing mail basically saying there's a critical issue in Red Hat Enterprise Linux. I mean, this was RHEL 2 and 3 back then, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, critical issue in Red Hat Enterprise Linux. Download this patch. And it was like some random website, right? It wasn't even like <laughs> redhat.com. And, and I remember we got a copy of this. We're like, what the heck is this? So anyway, we, we shut down this website. And it was, it was some like web, web provider, right? We call them up, we get it shut down. And then the guy sends a new one saying, oh, we changed our URL, now it's this. And it was like Stanford or somewhere like, it was a university, right? And this was a, a Saturday morning this happens on. And I'm thinking, we're like, what the heck is going on here? And so what, what, what ended up happening was I, I ended up calling the university's student help desk. And they're like, we don't know what you're talking about, right? Like they, they, I, might, I might have well been speaking a different language to these kids. And I'm finally like, who's your boss? The guy's like, this guy over here. I'm like, let me talk to him. And this guy gets along. He's like, look, this is, you know, I'm, I'm Josh Bresson. I'm from MedHab. And I tell him my story. I'm like, I need to talk to your boss. And I did this like probably six or seven times before I hit someone who could like connect me with a sysadmin to, you know, turn off the website essentially. Being run. And then, but the terrifying thing was this application you it basically was it was a, a, a Trojan horse, right? Where it downloaded this stuff to your system and backdoored. It wasn't signed, of course, by any Red Hat keys. And then we we found out that the the mailbox the attacker was using, where he was sending all the login information, was full. It had literally like thousands of messages that got sent to it. And it's like, oh my goodness, this is this is just terrifying. And so you know we we said we started communicating with customers, and and this was I mean. Red Hat had never dealt with anything like this. So it was just like, it was a super new problem. It really, it changed the way we thought about a lot of things. And we understood, you know, we have to be very clear about how we're communicating, where we get things, you know, Red Hat Network back then, like that is where you go to get your updates. Make sure people understand this because I mean, it, it, it got real, you know, it's, it was, it was a wild ride. And I really learned a lot from that single incident. That's amazing. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, so let's, uh, in the time we got left, let, let's pivot over here. So you're not, you're not doing any of that stuff anymore, right? Uh, you've moved over, you're working, you're actually working for, uh, you're in my group, um, That's right. working on the, on the, on the rail product management side. So, um, you went from being an engineer, I presume in a basement somewhere, uh, to now the, the, <laughs> to now, uh, the sunny second floor, um, of the, of, uh, the building in Westford where, where uh, product management hangs out. Um, so what was that, what was that, tra- what has that transition been like for you moving from, uh, moving from the engineering side into kind of more of the business strategy side? Like what's, what's changed? It has flung the drapes open for me in terms of many of the things I thought. So now I don't do tons of technical work anymore. I, I'm very pleased with myself when I do get to write some code or, or maybe look at a patch every now and then. But practically speaking, I mean, I talk to people now. 
Like that is my job, right? And and as most engineers can, right? Exactly, uh -huh, engineers, especially security guys, talking to people. That's hilarious, but, <laughs> right? <clears throat> but this is the way I looked at it. Is I'd been complaining for a very long time about the fact that nobody listened to the security guys. The security guys aren't making a difference. What what do we have to do here? You know what's going on? And and the opportunity arose for me to actually start doing something about this. And I thought if I don't take this, I'm just a huge dirtbag, right? So I'm, I'm going to go do this, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make the difference I've been complaining about for a long time. And once I started talking to customers and the guys in the field, like, like did you know that the sales and marketing people are, are actually nice human beings, Gunnar? And, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm actually yeah, familiar with like, this, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I had no idea, right? Like, who knew? <laughs> but this stuff, right, like you start talking to these people, and it's easy when you're hiding in your little hole just worried about, you know, what does this code mean? What's happening here? It's easy to sometimes demonize some of the other groups that might be, you know, getting in your way or, or just being a headache for you for some reason or other. And it's, it's been very enlightening to me to kind of get out and realize that you know, customers have these real problems they're trying to solve. Security isn't necessarily the thing they're trying to solve. It can occasionally be their problem when we get in the way. But, you know, they need to make their money. They need to do their job. And if security gets in the way, they're going to turn it off because at the end of the day, that's not paying the bills, right? Mm -hmm. And this is, this is just completely revolutionized the way I look at almost anything that's going on is the question now is kind of, you know, what does this mean for, for people? Not, mm -hmm. this is a security bug. The only way we can fix it is to do this. We must fix it now in this way. No, it's not, right. it's nothing like that. It's not black and white at all. It's very kind of what's going on here. And, and additionally, the other part, the other thing I keep talking about is as a security industry, we've done a very bad job of talking kind of to the people who need to listen, right? It's easy for us to show up and be like, oh, you're so stupid, you turned off SE Linux, or oh, developer, you're an idiot, you wrote this buffer overflow in your code, you know, check your inputs, and stuff like mm -hmm. that. But it's not that anyone's bad or they're dumb, like they don't know what to do, and we're not really helping them all that well. I mean, the security guys are the ones who can help, but I think we're not always doing that in, in, a, in a useful way, so to speak. And this is what and, I mean. So you and so, and so you're saying that, like, because the security folks are, it's definitely a community in and of itself. You guys have your own language. You have your own handshakes and, and all that oh, stuff. Totally. And, and, and so that, that kind of specialization has prevented you guys from effectively communicating or influencing kind of other parts of the, of the industry, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, that's it's basically what I talked about at RSA. I talked at RSA a couple of weeks ago now. It was the first week of March was when I was there. And I mean, I basically, the, the topic was, why does nobody listen to us? And the whole talk, <laughs> yeah, I mean, right, exactly. And, and the talk was basically about, look, no one listens to us because we're just, we're not a friendly, helpful bunch of people. I mean, we're the problem they need to work around. We're not the partner who's going to help them solve their issues. Right, and right. It, it, the, like I said, the more I get out and talk to people, the more obvious this seems to be where it is, Security people are really smart, and they have a lot of good things they can do, but they're not always taken seriously. And I'm starting to understand why that is, because mm -hmm. it is – in fact, I, I even saw this when I changed jobs. It's now that I'm not an engineer. Like, there's a lot of engineers who – they struggle when I show up. They're like, oh, product manager, crap. Like, what's this guy doing here? And, and in fact, when I was at RSA, I, I'd done a bunch of press stuff, and Red Hat gave a breakfast, and I spoke at that. And so I had my suit on, 
right? And like, I, I don't usually wear suits. I usually have like jeans and a t-shirt on, but I've got my suit on and I meet up with a guy I used to work with on the floor. And so we're talking, you know, I'm having coffee walking around. He's like, oh, here's some, here's some people I work with. Come on, let's go meet them. Let's go talk to them. And I walk up and these guys are in jeans and a t-shirt and they see me in a suit and they literally took a step backwards. <laughs> and, they, and he goes, oh, no, 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 it's cool, it's cool. He's smart, he's smart. <laughs> it was hilarious, right? It, but that's totally what, a year ago, before I was doing this work, I would have totally done that too. I mean, mm-hmm. that, that's the challenge is, if, if me today was talking to me a year ago, past me wouldn't believe present me. And so that's part of, part of what I think about a lot is how can I talk this message in a way that people will actually believe me and not just think like, here's another stupid talking head telling me a bunch of crap I don't need to know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, right. That's fascinating. That's great. That's, that sounds healthy. That sounds, uh, yeah, uh, I think it sounds it's... like you're a little m- more well-rounded, right? Sure, we'll say that. <laughs> no, I, I really, I really do think that. And I mean, like, I'll, I'll be honest, talking to lots of people is not in my nature. I am, mm-hmm. I am not a super extroverted person, but as I said, I've been complaining about this for so long that it, it was time to do something about it. And if I don't, I'm just some annoying guy complaining, not getting anything done. Okay. So now that now you're in your, your new role, you're now, a uh, you're now a, a, a more well-rounded person. Um, in terms of the actual work and the and the the stuff that you're doing, like what do you, what are some big initiatives that you're working on? Like what are you what are you driving into the product? Um, is there anything uh, anything in the works for for Rel? Yeah, we've got a couple of really cool things going on actually. I think the most the thing that excites me the most, and this isn't necessarily for Rel, this is more of a Red Hat overall thing. Is we have something called Red Hat Insights, which is. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically like business intelligence where we have a client that runs on your system and it collects some sort of information. It depends on what it, what it needs and what it wants. And then it basically says, all right, here's what's going on in your system. And it can look for security issues. It can look for some malware. I mean, to date, Linux has had remarkably little malware for it. So it's easy to look for it, right? Cause there's, there's barely any, it can look for misconfigurations, look, look for security issues. Like for example, when drown came out, what something really needed did was it would look at your system and say, all right, you're vulnerable to drown and you have a public IP address and you're using SSL V2. You have a huge problem. Or it could look and say, like, all right, you're vulnerable to it, but you're not using SSL2 and you have a private IP. You know, not so big, not so big of a deal. And that's, huh. I mean, that's super cool, right, is when you can yeah. start gather some rules like this. And this is one of those things that you, Red Hat can do this because we have all of this support information we've been collecting for forever, right? We have all this mm-hmm. knowledge we can draw on and we can do something with. Whereas it, it would be very difficult for another organization, you know, to show up and try to reproduce this, let's say on Red Hat side. But at the same time, obviously, we can't necessarily bring this technology anywhere else either because it's so Red Hat centric, which, I mean, that's fine from our perspective, right? But I, I really, I'm excited for insights. I can't wait to see what's going to happen with that as, as the future goes on. Because obviously, like all of this interesting technology works, we just keep adding more rules. And so it keeps getting right. more interesting as time marches forward. We also have Open SCAP, which lets us mm-hmm. do SCAP, it was Security Content Automation Protocol, I believe it means. And that's our SCAP scanner. It's, it's integrated with satellite. It's going to be in cloud form soon. We can do some container scanning with it. And that's a really exciting technology as well. That's something that came out of the DOD, actually, which I know if you talk to lots of people, when you talk about you know the DOD, like cutting edge technology is really not the first thing that comes to mind always. 
But <laughs> right in the case of SCAP, it's it's really exciting stuff, and it's it's really interesting to see how that works in terms of being able to do like certain offline scanning, and you've got all these rules and the rules right. So here's the deal, and this is true of Insights as well, is that the rules are what makes it interesting. It's not the scanner itself. And mm-hmm. this right. is where right. like OpenSCAP gives us some interesting abilities where we have all these rules that, that came from the DOD as part of the STIG. So now how can we apply these rules in new and interesting ways? And things like maybe we could do a PCI compliance scan with these rules, or maybe you could decide, you know, this is my corporate standard. I'm going to make sure everything's configured in just the right way when I deploy it. And like, we built in the ability to parse these rules in, in Anaconda during an install. I mean, it's just, it's some really cool work going on there in that respect. And I think that's the kind of stuff that I think is really starting to move the needle from the security perspective is how do we start, how do we start dealing with some of these issues and taking like a good holistic view of what's happening in, in my enterprise? Because, I mean, let's face it, the days of prevention, I think are dead. Thank goodness, because it didn't work. And so now it's really about under, you know, taking a look at what is my risk, what's happening, how do I, how can I make some good choices about what's happening? You know, I, I always, one of the things I like to do, and I need, I need to make a slide of this at some point, it's like if you make the typical graph, right, you have risk on one axis, reward on the other. If you have high risk and high reward, like if you know you're doing that, that's acceptable, right? But if you have high risk and low reward, that's crazy. And so, <laughs> right, exactly. And obviously low 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 risk, high reward is a no-brainer, and then low risk, low reward is kind of also the, you know, what are we doing over here in this box? But mm-hmm. these are things, th- this is how the, I think everything's starting to change, is people are starting to think about these things in this way of it's not black and white, it's not secure and insecure. What, what can we right. do it's, here? It's, it's a balance between the, yeah, right, right. Exactly, exactly. And so I, I have, I'm optimistic that the industry will get better over time in this regard. Now, at the same time, though, you can look at things like some of the IoT devices and shutter in terror for what is coming. <laughs> you know, you have these just <laughs> running a version of Linux that's 12 years old, and, and it's, it's horrifying occasionally. So, Yeah. That's, that's one thing I think about on the, on the IoT stuff um, is how is it that it seems like, you know, the days, as you say, like the days of prevention are over. So even if I, so I've got this black box, it's all sealed up. Um, and now I'm going to stick it on the side of my house and it's going to whatever measure my gas intake or whatever it is. Um, but if that's running Linux, that's like very probably vulnerable. And I think probably the most, it seems like the most dangerous thing about these IOT devices is that they don't come with any like built in update mechanism. Um, they don't have an RHN, right. Uh, so that somebody can do, do whatever the equivalent of a, you know, yum update is, um, so that, you know, that, that code is running there and now it's 10 years old and now it's 15 years old and, um, and it remains vulnerable throughout the entire life cycle. So, I mean, as these yeah. new IOT devices are coming out, I'm seeing like, uh, I know we talked before on the show about my ring doorbell, um, which is yes, it's internet connected <laughs> yes, and yes, it's an internet connected door. Right. And so they had a vulnerability, but here's the fun part is that they were able to patch it because it's internet connected. Um, and it actually checks to see if there's an update to the system every time you press the doorbell button, um, which I thought was like enormously clever. It, it, yeah, it, totally. It, it is. It is. Um, now, now that's a great example of someone doing the right thing. And I'm sure that I could probably pick apart numerous aspects of their update mechanism and their software and everything and, and prove to you the world is going to end. But that's in no one's <laughs> best interest because that, that's a group trying to do the right thing. 
And mm-hmm. yep. but there are, I mean, there, there's various other groups that are, we'll say, not always trying to do the right thing. You've got. Have you ever heard of something called Shodan? It's an IoT kind of search portal thing. Uh, yeah, I, I have. I have heard about it, but yeah, you should, you okay. should describe it. Yeah. Right. It, it's it basically it's like an IoT search portal, and you can do things like look for people's baby monitors on Shodan, right? Or you can look up <laughs> various other devices connected to the public internet, and it's sort of terrifying when you when you understand what's going on out there. And now. Some of these organizations want to do what's right. I'm not going to say they don't. And part, some of them don't know how to do what's right. And so that's obviously part of the security industry's job to help them figure out what that means and how to do it. But there are, there are going to be groups that don't care. I mean, let's face it. Let's say you're building a device that costs $1. Our, your margin is probably so close to zero, it's not even funny. Are you going to legitimately care about security? And is a consumer going to care about security if it costs a dollar? Right? The reality right. is probably not. And so mm-hmm. that's where things start getting weird is, is what do we do with this stuff? How do we deal with something that costs $1 and is vulnerable to tons of security issues? But if it gets hacked, you can just throw it away and buy a new one for a dollar. It's right. They're, they're weird problems, man. I mean, and these are challenges. Like we don't have anything to look at in the past to figure this out. There's always people love yeah. analogies, right? I love analogies. And every time I try to find an analogy to kind of explain information security, especially in the IoT space, it all falls apart. Like there is nothing that fits. I have yet to be able to find one. I've yet to find anyone that can find one. And I, I suspect there isn't one. This is one of those things where we just need to start understanding what's going on. I think you could, something like, you know, automobiles were probably similar back in the day, is there were such new concepts that the people who'd never seen a car before they just couldn't wrap their head around some of the things that were going on because, I mean, let's face it, you can mm-hmm. sort of compare it to like your horse and buggy, but then even that's going to fall apart pretty quick once you start getting into things like right. engines, gasoline and oil and whatever. And roads and yeah, right. Right. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Exactly. Exactly. So it's, and, and you think about things like self-driving cars are even going to make things crazier because now we're talking about like l- literally life or death is in the hands of the computer. It's, it's madness, man. <laughs> yeah. So, right. uh, for those just tuning in, my, Josh Bresser is coming coming from service. his bunker. In a <laughs> right, right. Well, no, actually, we were joking the other day. I think I was joking with Mark Cox, in fact, about my my new cave as a service system. I'm going to implement where we can you can borrow my cave and go live there for a while. <laughs> That's great. Right. That's great. Oh, but, um, but at the same time, you know, here's the deal. It's easy, and this is one of the things I have to be careful of because I'm, I'm really good at making it sound like the world is going to end sometimes. And I, I mean, you've been on the wrong end of that conversation more than once, right? Is, I certainly have, yep. <laughs> while things are kind of messed up in a lot of ways, it, it also gives us huge opportunities. We, this is all Greenfield, right? Like it, somebody has the opportunity here to go and do it right and to figure it out. And, and those are the people who are really going to make the difference because at the end of the day, it is, it's not the guy who's causing the problems who changes the world. It's the guy who, who solves the, the, the problems, right? That's really where it's at. Well put, man. And I can't imagine a better way to, to end this interview. Um, thank you awesome. so much uh, for spending the time with us. It was great. to oh, thank, thank you. I, I, and, and of I, course, I'd love to have you back. 
I would love to come back. And I, of course, can't leave Gunner without telling all the listeners to visit bgshow.org, right? Awesome. Man, yes, indeed. great. Love it. I've been a long-time listener. Uh, Big fan. Uh, <laughs> that's great. That's great. Yeah, indeed. Um, and not just because I'm your boss, right? Right, right. That's right. It's bonus time's coming, right? Let's... <laughs> <laughs> That's great. All right. Uh, well, thanks again, Josh. Uh, awesome. Thanks, Gunnar. It was fun. 